Pray for the McDaniels. They have a son headed to college on Tuesday. Uh, University of Georgia, period. So there's a lot of people happy in this room right now about that. Uh, it's their first one. So I, I told your husband before we began, the anticipation is worse than the reality. He'll be fine. He'll be fine, too. I was a basket case in our house when, when ours started to go. Today we are going to wrap up our study of the fruit of the Spirit. Over the past eight weeks, we've looked at love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, which is generosity, faithfulness, last week, gentleness. And today we come to the end of the lecture. Self-control. All of these things, we don't pick and choose, it's not a buffet. All of these things become part of who we are in Christ when we become a Christian. Just last week, we looked at the prayer of John the Baptist from John 3 where he said about Jesus, He must increase and I must decrease. And during the study of the past many weeks, we looked at the admonition found in Galatians 5.16 and it said this, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And so... If you see what we've talked about in the past several weeks, and you see self-control at the end of the list, it, it seems contradictory almost, doesn't it? But self-control at the end of the list of things that come from God. We're to live God-controlled lives. So what does self-control really mean here? I think it, one of the things that I've learned is self-control comes from the way that God looks at us and thinks about us. If you're at the stage of your life where you have grandchildren and those grandchildren, let's put them in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and the teacher, you hear the teacher say, that's the worst kid I've ever seen in my life. That child is out of control. I, I Just please let them take school for correspondence. We don't need them here. And if you're a grandparent and they're talking about your grandchild, you're thinking... You're talking about the wrong kid. My grandchild is perfect. In every, that's how grandparents ought to be. And I think very often that's how God looks at us. We beat ourselves up. We think of perhaps all of the negatives. And then God looks at us at a certain way. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 10 gives us an insight into that. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins before Christ. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers. In the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But... God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that we've been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness toward us. As shown in all that is done for us, we are united with Christ Jesus. 
God saved you by His grace when you, you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. I love verse 10. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. That is so special, and God looks at you that way. When my friend Charlie Duncan came up here, the tall man who said the offertory prayer, when Charlie came up here and did that, I'm looking at him, and I'm looking at him because I've known him for my whole life. We were in the nursery together. Connie's looking at him because she's known him married 37 years or so. How many? 38 years. Bill Hall's looking at him because Bill Hall and Kay Hall had him in the youth choir a few years back. And Hall Sewell is looking at him because Hall probably remembers the day he was born. Carolyn's looking at him because she put up with him in youth group. And we all look at people with different angles. You know when God was watching Charlie make that prayer, you know what God was saying? That's my masterpiece right there. That's how God looks at you. That's how God looks at us. And so when we get to self-control, it's about the way that God sees us. I believe God's referring to our new selves, not our old selves. Ephesians 2 talked about our old and our new. And I take great comfort, and you should too, that God looks at our new self and not our old self. He doesn't do that. So self-control, the Greek word in Kratia, used in Galatians 5, is a word that really means in strength or in power. And so the question is, in whose strength, in whose power? The old self or the new self? So today we look at self-control, we look at it as our new selves or our partnership with the Holy Spirit. But it's a constant battle, isn't it? We don't just flip a switch one day and we say, that's the new one. No, the old one is gone. We battle that every day in our thoughts and in our actions, constantly. A reporter once asked the great evangelist Dwight O. Moody what people gave him the most trouble. And without hesitation, he said, I've had more trouble with Dwight L. Moody than any man alive. Isn't that true? Wouldn't you put your name in the blank with the person you've had the most trouble with? That's exactly what Paul said in Romans 7, beginning in verse 21. He says this, I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. The power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. New self, old self. Oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's laws, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. And there he describes the battle that we face every day. 
Jack Parr, the old comedian, said once, looking back, my life seems to be one long obstacle course with me as the chief obstacle. And the old self and the new self. Proverbs 25, 28 about self-control says this. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. It's an interesting picture. The defense of ancient cities depended on strong walls. And once the walls were breached, when the walls came tumbling down in Jericho, the city was over with. And if our walls are broken down, we're in trouble. In my lifetime, I have seen people out of control. You have to. What's the evening news? You'll see all sorts of stories. But I've seen people out of control with money. It's always, did you just watch the lottery? I was praying one of you would win it, but you didn't. Five hundred and something million dollars. Five hundred million dollars. And you see the stories about people that win it, and then in a few years it's all gone because they have no self-control. You see NBA or NFL players signing huge bonuses and contracts, and they get a check bigger than anything they've ever seen, and then they file bankruptcy because they don't have self-control. People are out of control with drugs and alcohol. People are out of control with work and with pleasure. People can be out of control with food, with all sorts of things, good and bad. It is a constant struggle. But once we become new creations, once we become God's people, we live our lives yielded to our new self. And then magic happens. And I love it. I had a friend, and maybe you've got friends like this, that uh, was out of control with his language. He could not speak without using a four-letter word. It was just not possible for him to make a sentence without several. And then he became a Christian. And it's interesting, you could put him in front of a microphone 24 hours a day now. And you'd be okay. Because his new self is controlling what comes out of here. I have a friend who came to Christ. He was in his 70s in Indiana. And... Uh, basically a drunk. And after he came to Christ, he, he stopped. And his transformation was miraculous to watch. And it was fascinating watching the people of the community that had watched him for all these years, watching him in his new self. They loved it. And it was wonderful. And a lot of people came to Christ because of my friend. I knew a woman of very bad reputation. That's all I will say. Very bad reputation. And when she came to Christ, she got a new nickname and a new reputation. And heaven rejoiced. And God could finally look and go, you know, that's my masterpiece. Because she became who he wanted her to become. One more time, let's look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23, what we've looked at for two months now. By contrast to our old self, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness or generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
And then every week we've seen this, if we've read that scripture, we've seen it in with these words. There is no law against such things. That's kind of an odd way to end the list, isn't it? What does that mean? There is no law against such things. Why Paul say that? A little history. The book of Galatians was written to the churches of Galatia. It's an area in Asia Minor that included several churches. And this letter is really a teaching letter to these new churches. And the churches needed training and teaching because there were problems. And we see Paul address the problems as the letter of Galatians begins in chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. Writing to the churches that are new, and there's problems in Paul says this. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel. But there are some of you who are confusing. There are some who are confusing you. And want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven. Should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you. Let that one be a curse. As we have said before. So now I repeat. If anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received. Let that one be a curse. So what in the world's going on? There's some different teaching that is happening. And in this region where Christianity was new, people from all sorts of backgrounds came in as believers. And among the believers were a lot of Jewish people who had converted to Christianity. And what they decided needed to happen is when a Gentile, a Gentile is a non-Jew, when a Gentile came into those churches, the Jewish believers taught that you have to become a Jew first and then we'll let you become a Christian. So that meant circumcision. That meant following dietary laws. That meant following all of these things that these Jewish people had been doing all of their lives because they've been brought up under a system of do's and don'ts. And all of a sudden they're, they're told, you know, you just need to accept the grace of God. Well, they felt that there was more to it than that. And so they started teaching, no, it's not just about the grace of God. It's about do's and don'ts and you have to be this way. And they made it confusing. You know what? We still do that. Doesn't Christianity do that at times? You've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do Baptism of God in it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Why do we make it so confusing? And in Galatia, the church of the Beja Minor, they were making it confusing. If you want to read more about this, Acts chapter 15 is a good place to go. It'll tell you about that battle. So Paul addressed this in Galatians 5. And what he's really saying this is, if you have a life filled with the Spirit, if you're a person of love, if you're a person of joy, if you're a person of peace, if you're a person of patience, if you're a person of kindness, if you're a person of goodness, generosity, if you're a person of faithfulness, if you're a person of gentleness, if you're a person of self-control, if you're bearing type, that kind of fruit, you belong to God. You don't need to worry 
about following any other laws. If you're doing that, that's what matters. One thing I do, I use this as a checklist to see how I'm doing. You can take that bulletin, they're all listed on there, and you can read it every morning and say, how am I doing here, and how am I doing here, and how am I doing here, and you know, it's not a halfway thing. We don't need 70%. It's, it's all How many? These fruit are proof of God in you. These fruit are proof of God in me. You ever wonder if you're saved? You ever wonder? If you're bearing fruit, there's your proof. And if not, isn't it time? Let's pray.